Welcome to the Full Contact Fantasy Football Show with your hosts, Nick Zapina and Sharif Phillips-Keaton. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of the Full Contact Fantasy Football Show. I am Nick Zapina, joined with my main man, Sharif Phillips-Keaton. What's going on, Sharif? Nothing much, Nick. Um, for those of you who aren't in the know, obviously Nick is, but uh, all of our listeners probably aren't. I am fresh off a championship in our Dynasty League in the first iteration of it, so I'm pretty psyched. Obviously, I wish I could have won a championship in the other league, but since I already have, you know, I can rest on my laurels. Yeah, you know, there's a there's an old song, and I guess it doesn't totally apply, but there was an old song, I don't remember who sang it, called Two Out of Three Ain't Bad. And well, I guess in your case, one out of two ain't bad, because anytime you do win one championship out of two leagues, that is a win in my book. Oh, agreed. And I mean, I haven't won a championship since I think we first started the league with our close friends, and I think that was... 2014 2015 somewhere around there somewhere around there yeah um unfortunately i have come up short in basically all of my leagues so i am in five leagues total and i made it to the championship round in three of them i all right so one of those leagues is actually still ongoing i am not the commissioner of this league i have nothing to do with the management of it it's it's kind of weird it it's two week matchups, so it's going into week 17. So I'm down by about five and a half points in that league. But the other leagues that have concluded where I was in the finals, I unfortunately came up short, had some tough matchups against guys like Stefan Diggs and, you know, Devontae Adams and the like. So I was not so lucky. But overall, I had a very successful season, if I do say so myself. So with that said, you're probably listening to this and you're like, all right. Sharif, Nick, what are we doing here? What kind of advice are you giving us? Because, you know, the season is over. And I just want to say fantasy football does not sleep. And we are just beginning the 2021-2022 season, if you will. So what I really wanted to do in this episode is kind of review some of the disappointments and some of the surprises that we had. Uh, in this past season, because frankly, I mean, this season was impacted by so many things. You know, you think about COVID and all of the delayed games and really a spectacular crop of rookies that came into this season. So Sharif, I think we've got a lot to talk about. I don't know if this is going to rival the length of our normal shows that we do for the full contact fantasy show, but uh, I think this is going to be pretty exciting. So without any further ado, I'm going to hand it over to you. Where would you like to start? Would you like to start with some disappointments or some surprises? Like you can hit me anywhere you want. So first I'll start with a disappointment because I think, you know, we can mix and match um, just because I don't, you know, you don't want to start everything, you know, in a row. So my first disappointment that I have on the list um, is Ezekiel Elliott uh, running back for the Dallas Cowboys now. You might look at his finish. Now, granted, there's week 17 and, you know, there are some leagues diabolically that are going into week 17 for, you know, the fantasy championship, which sucks when you hear news like the Chiefs might rest with starters. Ben Roethlisberger is going to rest. You know, it's very unpredictable. So my advice, please don't go into week 17 
for a fantasy championship because it kind of gets fluky at that point. Um, but be that as it may, um, you might look at Ezekiel Elliott finished as the RB10 and half PPR scoring, and you're like, hey, in a 10-team league or a 12-team league, he finishes the RB1, and that's what you drafted him as. Yes, but when you look at – and now I'm getting this data from uh, fantasypros.com because that was the best source I had for multiple uh, fantasy sites as far as uh, ADP or average draft position is concerned. Zeke was drafted as the RB3. So we'll put it in these terms. The R- the top three running backs through week 16 in terms of uh, total fantasy points per uh, total fantasy points. Obviously, number one is Alvin Kamara, who put up like 80 points and that pretty much got him to take the lead. Dalvin Cook was number two and Derrick Henry is number three. So Zeke being at number 10 puts him ahead of guys like Nick Chubb, who missed a few games with his knee injury. Uh, Mike Davis, who you could say was pretty much the starter the whole year, but it was always on and off. Antonio Gibson uh, didn't really come on until late. Kenyon Drake. So those are like the couple guys that that follow Zeke. So the reason he's disappointed is really just because he was drafted to be a top two, top three running back and because and it wasn't even due to injury it was just whatever it is maybe it was Dak Prescott getting hurt I believe in week four or week five or you know Zeke maybe has been having too many touches in a short amount of time either way um, he's the first guy I'll start off with as a disappointment in the 2020 season yeah I think that's really fair and when you draft someone that high I mean, especially a guy like Ezekiel Elliott, who, you know, in his rookie year, he had some extreme blow up games. But in recent years, he's been more of a steady Eddie. Like, you know, that your floor is high. The ceiling's not super, super high for a star player. But you knew that Ezekiel Elliott was going to be a safe play who was probably going to get you between 15 and 20 points. But after Dak Prescott got hurt, he had single digit scoring in four straight. And then he was pretty hit or miss for the rest of the way after his bye week. And he had weeks where he had 10 carries for 32 yards, which which ended up being 2.4 fantasy points because of fumbles. And he was just kind of all over the place. And down the stretch, he was not winning you what you needed to win. Like he was not going to win you your championship. So I think that Ezekiel Elliott definitely belongs there, despite still technically being a running back one. Uh, Sharif, I'm also going to start with a disappointment and that's going to be Clyde Edwards Elaire. And I, I don't mean this in any kind of way that he was bad this year. I mean, you saw a lot of promise from CEH. There were games where he exploded. What it really came down to was the chiefs. There, there was something about CEH that the chiefs did not feel totally comfortable with him being the only guy like the bell cow running back for the the whole season so they went they got um Le'Veon Bell from the Jets or after he was cut and really what it did is it just kind of platooned him and it capped his upside so you never saw the CEH that uh once Damian Williams was uh declared that he would miss due to COVID he would opt out for the season I mean CEH flew up the draft boards he was going as high as like the fifth or sixth pick in some leagues. 
And it is very safe to say he did not live up to that. Um, again, this is not an indictment of how he played in real life, but he did not meet the first round uh, draft position that you likely had to spend to get him. Like you expected a lot of work in the receiving game. And truth be told, the Chiefs just didn't pass to the running back this year. The offense is too prolific to rely on that kind of crutch, and they just didn't do it. And when they get close to the goal line, I mean, Travis Kelsey is taking like weird gadget plays where he's throwing passes. So with all that in mind, I mean, CH was a fine player, and I think that he'll be a good fantasy player for the future, but I don't know if he's ever going to be a great fantasy player. Yeah, it was disappointing, especially like you said, when you see in some leagues, CH, there was a time where people where the hype around CH was, yeah, it's an Andy Reid offense and Andy Reid with running backs is pretty much fantasy gold. And that talk pretty much catapulted CH from a second round pick, which is really what he performed as, as far as when you look at his finish. Um, I believe he finished uh, as RB19, RB18, sorry, in half PPR scoring. So in, in pretty much every league, he was RB2, which is pretty much like a second round pick, maybe even like a third round pick. Um, but because of all that hype and talk, he ended up being like a borderline first round pick. And in some leagues, like you said, the middle of the first round, and that just didn't pan out. And like you said, he played well given his role, but I think we just expected him to get more opportunities for fantasy points and he just wasn't getting that. Yeah. Let me be real. Like we kind of expected Kareem Hunt in his rookie season. Like that's kind of the player that we were expecting or at least the production. And it's just not what we got. Definitely. So yeah, I I agree with that as a disappointment. Now I'm going to switch up the, the flow so we don't stay too much of disappointment and I'll pick a surprise. Um, now this one is going to be obvious, but it's just, he needs to be mentioned. Uh, Jacksonville Jaguars running back James Robinson. Now, it's obvious the reason that the guy is a surprise um, from my numbers. I know pretty much every league says he went undrafted, but the exact number as far as according to fantasy pros was he was drafted as the RB58, which is basically undrafted. But that's just how far he went. And then he went from that to earning the the starting job from day one when me and you were talking about it the week before the season. And we were like, man, is it right? Quote Armstead, Chris Thompson, Divine Ozigbo. It was none of those guys. We were wrong. It was none of those guys. It was James James Robinson all the way. And he went and with the week 16 done, he finished with 225.9 half PPR fantasy points good for RB4 and that puts him ahead of guys like Aaron Jones, David Montgomery with his strong finish to the season, Jonathan Taylor, Kareem Hunt. So, he was probably the biggest surprise or one of the biggest surprises and I mean the the guy is so talented. I mean, I just feel like we had to acknowledge that. Yeah, I I don't think that there are enough superlatives to really do what James Robinson did this season justice because he was so phenomenal and so off the wall. Like you're, you're never going to expect this ever again. And uh, you're always going to be looking for the next James Robinson, but the, the likelihood of these guys hitting is so comparatively low that, I mean, what he did was just so incredible and 
we just can't give him enough credit. Um, Sharif, for right now, I'm going to stick on the negative side. Don't worry, I do have positives. I have some surprises, but I, I just have to mention one guy who drove fantasy managers and <laughs> Brian Clegg, our other uh, member of this podcast, crazy, and that is Michael Thomas. And I, I tried to draw this line, and we were talking about it pre-show, where you're drawing this line between whether a guy was a disappointment because of injury, because that's fluky, or if he was a disappointment because of his play, which is a little bit more indicative of you know how he is as a player. And Michael Thomas is somewhere kind of in the middle, because not only did he suffer that high ankle sprain that kept him out for some time, then you hear about him getting suspended by his team for getting into an altercation with C.J. Gardner-Johnson. And if you're a fantasy manager and you're looking at this guy on your roster that you drafted in the first round and you hear that he's going to miss because he got into a fight with his teammate, that is going to drive me absolutely bonkers. Like, you know, if you're injured, hey man, I get it. It's part of the game. I cannot have any kind of control over that. But you're suspended by your team. And I know that that only resulted in a one-game absence for him. But when you put that together with the injuries, with the draft position, and then, frankly, he never had a blow-up game, uh, I think that Michael Thomas was a huge disappointment. And up there with you know, some of the biggest disappointments in fantasy this year, just because of all of those circumstances. Definitely. Especially when you look at his ADP, put him at wide receiver one. And that was obviously based off of last season where he was just utterly incredible. And obviously much to your chagrin was frustratingly involved in the passing game, but was also productive and I mean, just for those of you who forget, because this season was obviously a big disappointment, Michael Thomas finished last season, he saw 185 targets, caught 149 of them for 1,725 yards, only about 12 yards per reception, but had nine touchdowns. So he was the overwhelmingly wide receiver one last year, and obviously he went into drafts with that expectation and he finished this season wide receiver 94. So, I mean, that's like the epitome of a disappointment. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think the next guy I would like to do, we'll keep it in the wide receiver category, but this is going to be a surprise. Minnesota Vikings wide receiver Justin Jefferson. Um, by my notes, he – his average draft position was wide receiver 48 and through week 16, he finished as the wide receiver seven, actually, ironically one spot ahead of fellow wide receiver teammate, Adam Thielen. So it just goes to show you that Adam Thielen, I think was drafted pretty much as a wide receiver one, maybe like wide borderline wide receiver two. And my, and you know, Justin Jefferson was basically an afterthought in drafts, but ever since say like week three, Week three or four, Mike Zimmer started making him a full-time participant in the offense. And since then, I mean, he's had blow-up game after blow-up game. And it seemed like, contrary to most wide receiver duos, 
Um, Jefferson and Thielen actually thrived together and neither cannibalized the other's fantasy value. It was just impressive to see. And again, he's a rookie wide receiver. And this, instead of normally the year being about a rookie running back, this year is about the rookie wide receiver. And it just sucks because it looks like the Philadelphia Eagles could have had this guy um, instead of Jalen Rager. Not to say Jalen Rager has played bad, but just obviously Justin Jefferson was not just great for a rookie. He was just great for a wide receiver, period. And it was just impressive to see. Yeah, uh, Justin Jefferson checked all the boxes this year. And, you know, his rookie year is up there with some of the best rookie wide receivers of all time. Like you think back to Odell Beckham and the incredible year that he had and Justin Jefferson's right there. So he is already knocking on the door of stardom or superstardom or however you want to categorize him. He, he was really, really impressive. Um, so I definitely agree there. Now I'm going to go with a guy who, well, first of all, this was a surprise, at least for me. And it's a player who, over the years, you know, you and I have talked and I have not been super warm on, but I would say that Melvin Gordon overall was a nice surprise this year. There were a lot of questions about how the Broncos were going to handle this backfield with Philip Lindsay, who is a pro bowler uh, in and of himself, and how Melvin Gordon was going to fit in after a pretty disappointing season last year when he held out to start the season. And then he came back midway through and Austin Eckler had established himself as a, you know, a top back in the, in the NFL, at least he was playing like it. So there were a lot of question marks around Melvin Gordon. And I think that this year uh, he did a good enough job to silence people like myself. Um, I'm going to pull up his exact finish right now, but Okay, he finished as the running back 19, which doesn't jump off the page as huge. But I think that it is better than a lot of people were giving him credit after last season. So I just wanted to give Melvin Gordon props. And honestly, he was a good value in drafts, especially in this season where running backs were kind of dropping like flies and hard to come by. Definitely. And especially when you look at uh, how last season went for Melvin Gordon. Not that it was a bad season. He, you know, in real and fantasy football, he was a productive player alongside Austin Eckler, which is hard to do because, you know, Austin Eckler gets like 15 targets a game, you know, sort of like J.D. McKissick with the Washington football team. Um, But, you know, there was some speculation about how much is Melvin Gordon worth because the Chargers were willing to pay him a contract reportedly $10 million a year. And Melvin Gordon balked at that because he felt he was worth more and the Chargers were willing to let him go. He went to Denver for, I believe, exactly $10 million <laughs> or like, you know, a little bit above that. And we were thinking, you know, it's Philip Lindsay. He's pretty much been a thousand yard guy ever since he's been the starter for the Broncos. Melvin Gordon's going to play second fiddle or, you know, they're going to just cannibalize each other's value. And it ended up being. Melvin Gordon, it, I mean, it seemed like Vic Fangio, and I, I, the name escapes me who the offensive coordinator for the Broncos is, but it seems like they played more of a hot hand approach, but they never relinquished 
putting Melvin Gordon as the third down back, which we thought would have been reverse. Melvin Gordon would have been the early down and goal line guy, and Philip Lindsay would have been like that change of pace guy, but they reversed it, but Melvin Gordon just had more touches. So I agree. For what the talk was around Melvin Gordon before this season, he definitely uh, outperformed expectations, and it's good for a guy like him who bet on himself, and it looks like he was right. Um, okay. So I've done, I believe three people so far. Yes. So I have two more. Um, and then obviously we can go from there. Now this is, this is sort of like in the Ezekiel Elliott category, as far as a disappointment, I'm going to pick Baltimore Ravens quarterback, Lamar Jackson. Um, now you look and see that he finished basically as a QB one borderline, which is, you know, what you're drafting him as, but according to uh, ADP, he was drafted as a QB two. So basically off of last season where Lamar Jackson was the MVP winner and Patrick Mahomes was the second quarterback, it was expected that Lamar Jackson, you know, with his running ability and we saw what we thought was progression in his passing ability, it would just get better and he would finish as the overall QB one. That did not happen. He finishes a QB9. So he finished behind guys like Tom Brady, Ryan Tannehill, Deshaun Watson, Russell Wilson, all still good quarterbacks. But obviously when it comes to fantasy, we thought Tom Brady would have finished up there with the likes of Kyler Murray, Josh Allen, you know, guys who can run and throw. So not a disappointment in terms of just he had a disappointing year, just relative to his draft position, he had he didn't perform like he was expected to until obviously the end of the year. So that's why he's one of my disappointments. Yeah. And even if you're just looking at it from a football standpoint, like you could see the regression for Lamar Jackson this year. And there were some rumors he was a little nicked up in training camp and that his knee was bothering him. And, oh, he wanted to be a little bit more of a pocket passer. Well, this year you kind of saw that when Lamar Jackson relies on the arm and he doesn't really try to run as much, it's not as effective both for the NFL game, but also for fantasy. Like what made Lamar Jackson so incredible was that rushing floor and that you knew he could run for a hundred yards any given game. And with, without that, it was, I, I mean, not bad. Like you're saying, like he still finished as a quarterback one, but it wasn't what you drafted. That's for sure. Um, all right. I'm going to go with, um, I'm I'm torn in so many directions here. I'm going to go with another disappointment. And again, it's kind of in that um, Ezekiel Elliott kind of same vein where, yeah, I mean, he finished well, but if you kind of looked at how he got there, and, and maybe I'm being harsh, but I'll just say it's Mike Evans. And I think that a lot of people coming into this season were a little bit down on Mike Evans because they thought it was going to be the Chris Godwin show. Um, But really when you look at Mike Evans game log, it was kind of all over the place. Like, and, and that's for a few reasons. He had a hard time getting on the same page as uh, with Tom Brady to start the season. Like you kind of lucked out in weeks one and weeks three where he had literally two yards but he managed to get a touchdown. So without this, you know, extreme touchdown kind of 
percentage that he had, and I'm, I'm going to find a stat. He had 13 touchdowns this season. Without those, like Mike Evans was kind of disappointing up until, well, I don't want to say he was disappointing up until last week. I don't know. Sharif, before I really go too far on this, am I being too harsh on Mike Evans here? Because I just feel like his play was kind of all over the place with Tom Brady this year. I mean, I, I disagree. I don't view Mike Evans as a disappointment. I think it's he was inconsistent. Um, but I don't think it was anything outside of the realm of just what you can expect from the wide receiver position. Um, and like you said, yes, he had a few games where it was single digits. And especially uh, week seven, or I'm sorry, week six in Green Bay, where he only had one and a half half PPR fantasy points. I think overall, from where he was drafted, which by my research was basically low end wide receiver one, he finished as a low end wide receiver one. So I think he delivered what you expected. But if you kept Mike Evans towards the end of the season, he, uh, let's see, five, four of his last five games, he had at least 13.4 uh, half PPR points. So Obviously, the middle of the season was shaky when they added Antonio Brown and had to figure out the target distribution. But I would say most of the season, Mike Evans was good, and you could use him in your lineup. So I think you are being harsh. I wouldn't view him as a disappointment. Yeah, maybe I'm thinking. Maybe I'm taking it too much from a real football perspective because I'm looking at this. I'm looking at the games. And I'm seeing two yards, two yards, forty-one, ten, thirty-seven, fifty-five, sixty-four. 49, 50, 56. And I'm, I'm looking at those. And I'm like, man, those do not match the caliber of player that Mike Evans is. But I guess from a fantasy perspective, he did deliver basically what you drafted him as. Right. And now the stats I point out, it doesn't include week 16. It hasn't been updated on a fantasy project, but obviously against the Lions, he absolutely went off for 181 yards and two touchdowns. And I believe if he plays, I think he only needs 50 some odd yards to get a thousand and he'll be the first player ever to have seven, I believe it's seven straight seasons of 1000 receiving yards. I believe the leader right now is Randy Moss with six. And if Mike Evans can get a thousand yards this upcoming Sunday, he'll pass that record. So now real football, I agree because when you see that every season is normally around 1,200, 1,300 yards, this season he may only finish with a little over 1,000, which isn't outside of what he's done in the past. His rookie year, he had 1,051. His fourth year had 1,001. Um, but, yeah, from a real football perspective, you you it left some to be desired. But I think when it comes to fantasy football, I think he was exactly what you drafted him to be. Yeah, I, I guess that's fair. I, I can live with that. Um, now, my last disappointment, and this is going to hurt me in my heart as well as you, but it has to be said, uh, Atlanta Falcons wide receiver Julio Jones was ADP wide receiver four. He finished as the wide receiver 45. Now, this is going to what you were saying earlier, Nick, that maybe I shouldn't have put him on this list because – some of what he missed or some of what contributed to his lowly finish was because he was dealing with pretty much a 
you know, bulky hamstring for most of the season. But when you look at his game log, um, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six. So out of 16 weeks, he missed 16 games, but there was 10 games he played. Um, basically half of those games, he had less than 10. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. That's standard. Um, give me one second. About three or yeah, three of those games, he had less than six half PPR points. And obviously, we know Julio Jones and Atlanta is that, you know, you can bank on the yards. You just can't bank on the touchdowns, um, which is pretty much what happened this season. He only had three touchdowns. And I mean, I imagine even if he played all this this season, he would only have like five just because that's the way they run their offense. Who knows? Um, but he's a disappointment just because when he you just couldn't depend on him. And it wasn't like he was hurt to the point where you could make a move away from him. You spent, and I mean, this is me being Julio Jones manager in our league with our friends and our dynasty league is you don't know if he's going to play. And then if he plays, you don't know if he's going to be a decoy. You don't know if he's actually going to be fully involved in the offense. It was just all of that uncertainty made him a disappointment in my eyes. And especially where you see where he finished, obviously some of that is because of missing games. But even when he played, you just never had any confidence in Julio this year. And that's why he was a disappointment for me. Yeah, I don't think that there were any lies there, unfortunately. And, you know, we've talked ad nauseum about how much we like Julio Jones, at least from an NFL perspective, because, I mean, he really has been the ultimate wide receiver for so long. Um, but you kind of can't deny that where he was drafted, uh, you drafted him as likely like either a really high end wide receiver two or, you know, your wide receiver one. And uh, he obviously didn't live up to that this year. So it, it is disappointing. That being said, I am all in for next year when he, when his ADP falls once again, uh, I will be ready to hurt again. As Michael Scott from the office once said, <laughs> Um, all right, I'm going to stay in Atlanta here for a disappointment. And, you know, you can look at this kind of in two different ways. And I'll start with, or I'll, I'll say it's Todd Gurley. And he was his ADP this year was 31 per uh, Fantasy Pros. And to start the season, like, he was really on a tear. He was putting up running back one numbers routinely. But it was kind of on the back of, the touchdown train where he scored one, two, four, five, seven, eight, nine. He scored nine touchdowns in the first nine weeks. So he had some really, really good touchdown luck to start the season. Um, and it dried up after the bye week. And he ended up start he ended up finishing the year as, I believe, running back 24. So I mean, when you consider the fact that he was literally usurped by Ido Smith for the starting job in uh, Atlanta, he didn't help you down the stretch. He didn't score double-digit fantasy points in any game from week 11 to week 16. So he did nothing to win you anything when you needed him to. Uh, he might have given you enough of a boost in the early part of the season to you know, give you a chance at the playoffs. 
but he didn't deliver down the stretch, and that makes him a humongous disappointment for me, even though he was already kind of trending downwards coming into the season. Definitely, especially when you consider that uh, Tom, uh, I'm sorry, Todd Gurley was actually considered a value at one point because his ADP was dropping because of, you know, his last season with the Rams. And, you know, even though they gave him that historic contract at the time for a running back, they said it was worth just cutting him and eating the dead money, which says a lot. Um, And then obviously we heard, you know, occasional reports about his knee and, you know, obviously he's dealing with some type of arthritis in the knee. And obviously that doesn't go away. The only thing you can really do is, quote-unquote load management and then this season was pretty much a disappointment when you go from he was the main guy in that backfield like we didn't even hear about Brian Hill or Edo Smith in the beginning of the season and then once we got closer to the bye week and then after that you know it just you could see he's just not he ran the football like he did for the Rams he just looked you know he was laboring he didn't have that burst he Sometimes he walk, he gets tackled, walks back to the huddle. He's favoring that knee or he's just like walking like he, you know, if you, for those of you who may not be old enough, if you look back and watch Jim Brown, the old Cleveland Browns running back, if people used to be scared when he got tackled because every time he got tackled, it took him like forever to get up, but he just came back stronger. Unfortunately, Ty Gurley got up the same way and just got weaker. So it was just unfortunate. Um, and I roof, you know, I mean, I know you do too. We root for Todd Gurley, but you know, he went to Atlanta on a one-year contract for a reason and averaging three and a half yards per carry and only nine touchdowns through 14 to 15 weeks is just not going to cut it. And I don't think we'll see him back at Atlanta. I, I assume he'll land back on the team, but we may have seen Todd Gurley's last days as a starter in this league. Yeah, I'm not even 100% positive that he'll be in the NFL next year. Um, And I know that's kind of crazy, but I feel like when someone has been at the peak of their game like Todd Gurley and they've fallen to where Todd Gurley has currently, like that's kind of mentally exhausting. And I don't know if that's something that he wants to deal with. You know, like it's a difference between someone like Frank Gore and Todd Gurley. Where Frank Gore, I mean, he never dropped off a cliff. He just kind of steadily declined. Todd Gurley dropped off a cliff. Um, and it, it's been a shame, but I don't know. I, I'm, I, I'm seriously concerned about his future. So I have one last guy, even though I said I only had five. There was one person who just came to the top of my head, and I think it's definitely interesting, at least from my perspective, as a disappointment. Seattle Seahawks wide receiver Tyler Lockett. Now, again, this is not a disappointment in terms of where you see where he finished compared to his ADP because he actually finished better than where he was drafted. The disappointment was that after week seven, where he scored 45.5 half PPR fantasy points against the Cardinals, this was his following games, 5.3, 6, 9.1, 17.2, 17.2, and then 3.8, 9.3, 7.7, 5.4, 5.9. So he was really a disappointment in terms of if you had Tyler Lockett after week seven, let's say like, you know, you bought 
his stock because you were like, I got to have this guy if he's going to put up 15 catches for 200 yards and three touchdowns. He pretty much burned you the rest of the season. And I don't think any championship teams made it if they had Tyler Lockett just because he literally burned a hole in your lineup and he didn't help you. Yeah, I was really I was considering putting him in that same disappointments thing because really that kind of split is just so um killing. Like that that is a lineup killer when you're consistently getting like 5 points from a player. Um so I think that he's definitely deserving of that disappointment uh tag that you've given him. Uh Sharif, I got to tell you, I could go all day talking about some of these surprises and disappointments. So um, I'm trying to think of the best way for me to do this because there's definitely still some some that I want to hit, but I don't want to ramble on either. You know what I mean? So at any point, you can tell me like, yo, man, that's enough. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm going to give this one to your boy, Justin Herbert. And he was a humongous surprise. Now, obviously, he was not the most highly touted quarterback coming out of this draft class. He wasn't even expected to play this season, really, behind um, Terod Taylor. I believe I'm saying that right. I've we, Apparently, we've been saying Terod Taylor wrong all these years. We always called him Tyrod, and he actually goes by Terod. But anyway, I, uh, I digress. So, I mean, I didn't really expect to see Justin Herbert this year. And then he kind of burst onto the scene and saved everybody in uh, the Los Angeles Chargers uniform that had fantasy relevance. He saved their fantasy season. Like uh, Keenan Allen was all of a sudden a set-it-and-forget-it wide receiver one. Austin Eckler was very viable when he was playing and healthy. Mike Williams has kind of been hit or miss for fantasy purposes anyway. But Justin Herbert was an immediate quarterback one. He was just incredible. Uh, watching him, you saw shades of Patrick Mahomes, and that's that is like a tall comparison. But I don't even feel bad about saying it. Like you saw that same arm strength and the ability to push the ball down the field. And I would say that Justin Herbert really delivered for you in fantasy. Definitely, he and I mean I think it was after that was that when did he actually see action? Week two, because Terod Taylor was supposed to start that game. Um, but because of some issue he was having where he was given, I guess, some type of pain medication and the trainer, whoever the doctor was that administered that dosage to him accidentally punctured his lung or rib or something, or yeah, I think it punctured his lung. And it's such a weird story. And obviously we saw Justin Herbert come out that game against the chiefs and we're like, I mean, I don't know how many people were starting Taylor at that moment because, I mean, he was always pretty much a maybe a streamer and probably a guy you just have on your bench. But it was definitely a shocker. But Justin Herbert came out the first game he was firing, put up uh, a little over 20 fantasy points against the Chiefs in his first game starting. And, you know, people had their doubts about Justin Herbert because of how he performed at Oregon. But he definitely was a... Very pleasant surprise, especially with me being a Chargers fan. And I'm sure he'll go in next year's draft around that QB1 territory, probably like streaming territory, but he'll definitely go 
pretty high, and I'm still willing to take him just because he showed all of the traits and uh, broke the rookie uh, passing touchdown record that was previously held by Baker Mayfield. So, I mean, the arrow's up for someone like Justin Herbert. Yeah, definitely. So, um, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this from a little bit of a dis- uh, different approach, and I'm just going to kind of talk about the Tampa Bay backfield because, I mean, you kind of have to look at the whole picture here because there were definitely some times where Ronald Jones was a humongous disappointment, and there were times where Leonard Fournette was a humongous disappointment or a huge surprise. So, in general... Looking at the big picture, I would say that Ronald Jones was a surprise this year because a lot of people were really down on him after his uh, rookie year and his sophomore season where he he was a little bit better. Um, and a lot of people thought that Ronald Jones' book was written and that he really couldn't be like a, you know, I'll, I'll say lead back for a backfield. And uh, he definitely had his troubles with the ball where he would fumble after a catch or something like that. But ultimately, uh, when he was given the opportunity on the ground, he was nothing short of phenomenal all year. And Leonard Fournette, he was just a disappointment compared to where he was drafted. Like, there's a good chance that if you drafted Leonard Fournette, you drafted him when he was still on the Jaguars. And then he got cut. And people thought that when he landed in uh, Tampa Bay that he would be the clear lead back. And it just never amounted to that. So I'm just going to leave it here and say they neither really returned like their highest possible value, but considering Ronald Jones hype has been a lot less than Leonard Fournette due to draft capital and all, I would generally classify Ronald Jones as a surprise and Leonard Fournette as more of a disappointment than not. I would agree with that. Um, Ronald Jones was a pleasant surprise because, you know, I would say, well, you've been rooting for Ronald Jones for a few seasons now, and I pretty much jumped on the bandwagon going into the season just to, because of how uh, Bruce Arians was unfairly coaching him. Or, you know, you know, you know, pretty much as soon as he makes a mistake, his, he's getting off the field for somebody. If it's not Leonard Fournette, it's LaShawn McCoy. If it's not either of them, it's Keyshawn Vaughn. Hell, it might have been for Bruce Arians himself if he just wanted to stick it to Ronald Jones. So that it was a surprise that he overcame all of that and, you know, was one of the most efficient running backs on the ground, no matter what metric you look at. And he was productive and he contributed to Tampa Bay making the playoffs for the first time in, I think, 2008, something like that. So, you know, kudos to him. And yeah, Leonard Fournette was a disappointment. Not. I mean, his play was underwhelming when he got to Tampa Bay, but like you said, when he was drafted, he was supposed to be the main guy in Jacksonville, and we saw what a guy like James Robinson did. And, I mean, we saw what Fournette did in the past with that kind of workload. So he had pretty much no chance to be something other than a disappointment just because his role changed so soon and most likely after when most people drafted him. Yeah, I will say Leonard Fournette, his future – is going to be very interesting because if he lands in the right system, like you have a potential running back one on your hands, but there is another, like we're at a point with Leonard Fournette where you have to at least entertain the possibility that he's in some kind of backfield committee. Um, and you know, we have no idea where that's going to be. 
Um, all right. I think I've got a couple left in me, Sharif. But I'm going to throw this one out here. And it's going to be a little bit vague. But I'm just going to say the rookie wide receivers in general. Because I, I'm thinking about, like, you mentioned Justin Jefferson. And I think that he definitely deserves his own little category there. But I think about other guys, too, like Brandon Ayuk, um, Chase Claypool kind of burst onto the scene. CeeDee Lamb was great this year. Um, now, there were some disappointing rookie wide receivers. But on the whole, I just think that this rookie wide receiver class was so deep and so skillful that, I mean, shoot, you can just keep going. Like, there were weeks where LaVisca Chenault was really on the fantasy radar and he was a third rounder. So I really just wanted to give in general, the rookie wide receivers, their props as a big surprise, because you don't really expect rookie wide receivers to burst onto the scene. Like so many did this year, even the good ones. Definitely. Especially. Yeah. Like you said, you consider guys like Brandon, Ayuk, T Higgins, Justin Jefferson, you know, Chase Claypool, they all had their signature moments. Obviously, there were some guys who did not. I mean, I guess you could say the most notable rookie wide receiver disappointment was Jerry Judy. Um, And, I mean, we could pretty much blame that on Drew Locke. So, yeah. But, like you said, as a whole, the rookie wide receiver, and this was the deepest wide receiver draft in quite some time. So, it was nice to see those guys pan out in – you know, show what they can do at the NFL level. 100%. And uh, I was going to also mention Jerry Judy kind of in that disappointment. Maybe Henry Ruggs too. I think that he's more of a disappointment because he was the first wide receiver off the board. And you kind of expect that that transfers to fantasy relevance and it didn't. And I think a lot of that had to do with fit. Like Henry Ruggs probably would have been really fun in Kansas City. But I'm not sure if he pairs really well with Derek Carr. Um, all right, I'm I'm getting close, Sharif. I'm I'm almost done. I swear. <laughs> this one is one that's going to hurt me a little bit, a little bit of a disappointment. And it's not that he played bad. It's just you kind of expected more when we drafted, and that's Cam Akers. Cam Akers was really drafted with the thought that he was going to immediately take the Rams' backfield and. To be fair, he did until he got hurt in week one or week two, I believe. Um, So Cam Akers kind of lost the job to Daryl Henderson until the bye week. And then after the bye week, you saw a little bit more of what Cam Akers is. But Cam Akers was being drafted in like the fifth, sixth, seventh round. And more likely than not, he didn't do enough to help you get to the fantasy playoffs for him to be considered a, a nice surprise for the whole season. Now, obviously, if you look more at the recent games, Cam Akers has shown a lot of promise. He looks really good, but he didn't do enough for the whole season to get you there. Right, and that's a good point because Cam Akers ended the season on a great note, or at least a note that we expected him to start the season with. And obviously the beginning of the season was frustrating for anyone who rostered him just because, you know, Sean McVay is from that, you know, Shanahan type of running back distribution where it's pretty much hot hand approach. It just seems like Sean McVay favored, you know, veterans over the rookie. But Cam Akers did show 
the potential that he has and pretty much why he was drafted that high. Now, I don't expect his ADP to rise to what the end of the season indicated for him, um, but it is a reminder that as long as he can do what he needs to do in a normal offseason, hopefully once we're past the pandemic, um, we can see Akers start next season the way he ended this season. Yeah, he's definitely a guy that I'm uh, excited for. Now, I think I'm going to end with some tight ends, and I have two surprises and one disappointment. I'll start with the surprises. Robert Tunyon, who was a touchdown machine this year, uh, he was kind of um, he was kind of known as Baby Kittle this year, and I mean you saw why he was really good, uh, especially in the red area of the field. He was one of uh, Rogers' favorite targets. And Robert Tunyon, really, I mean, uh, what did he finish as? I believe he finishes a top six tight end, but let me get it real quick. Yeah, he finishes tight end four. So considering the absolute paucity of tight ends out there, Robert Tunyon definitely fit the bill. My other tight end surprise would be Logan Thomas, who... I believe the story was he was a converted quarterback to tight end. Uh, he wasn't great all year, but he kind of came on uh, the later the season went. And again, just considering that lack of quality uh, quality tight ends for fantasy purposes, Logan Thomas finishes the tight end number five. So two guys who were kind of off the fantasy radar and then burst onto the scene this year. Definitely. Um, and yeah, both guys were definitely pleasant surprises. Um, Robert Tanyan, it was kind of funny when, you know, the the season wore on. I think when they actually played the 49ers, if I'm not mistaken, and then that was when they were talking about it was George Kittle and then Tanyan was baby Kittle. And I think the name was given to him by George Kittle or something yeah. like that. So, you know, that carried some cachet. And it was good to see Tanyan. Uh, play is just the problem with the tight end position outside of like guys like Travis Kelsey and Darren Waller is pretty much everybody else's touchdown dependent. And I mean, that was the case for someone like Robert Tanyan, but he finished the year as pretty much a high end tight end one. Uh, so, you know, kudos to him and Logan Thomas, I think thrive no matter who the quarterback was just because outside of Tarek McLaurin, he was the most dependent, dependable receiver. I guess, unless you want to also include J.D. McKissick in that. Um, so it was good, this, especially Logan Thomas, who made a position change. And normally we see guys go from like quarterback to wide receiver. He went from quarterback to tight end. So that just shows you, you know, his skill. Yeah, that that's a tough transition. And especially like you think about the top tight ends in the draft, like, Tight end is a position that is notoriously difficult to adjust to in the NFL because there's so much that you have to be good at. Like you have to be not only a good receiver, but a good blocker. So kudos to Logan Thomas because he was really a nice surprise this season. But one guy who year after year is really hyped up at the tight end position, and rightfully so because they are incredibly skilled, it's, it's Evan Ingram. 
like every year he is kind of a breakout candidate because he had such a nice rookie season. You look at him, he's six foot three. He runs routes like a like a wide receiver. He's fast. But he finishes only the uh tight end fifteen. So he has not seemed to like hit that breakout season that you're really expecting of someone with his kind of receiving chops. And I would say he's been a disappointment since his rookie year. Um, And now tight end number 15 doesn't make him like totally not startable, but he only had double digit fantasy points in, in half PPR formats in three games this year. And that's just, I mean, that's kind of brutal. So Evan Ingram definitely fits the bill for me for a disappointment at tight end. Yeah, and and I think that's always how you got to put it in context is Evan Ingram, when you just look at was he good as a tight end, he was usable, you know, and I mean, pretty much he was probably your best option at tight end or was pretty much a streamer. But when we look at, we're basically comparing Evan Ingram to how he played his rookie year, which I believe he was like overall tight end three or four, something like that. And, you know, he was being talked about, I guess, at the time, you know, with the likes of like Travis Kelsey, Gronk, not sure if Darren Waller caught on at that time, but I'm sure it was like on its way, you know, Zach Ertz. And just to see Evan Ingram. Now, I blame some of his disappointment on Daniel Jones, who pretty much looks like to be a better runner than passer at this point. And obviously, Daniel Jones is also turnover prone. So those are some possessions the Giants are losing because of those mistakes. But yeah, overall, Evan Ingram has been a disappointment since his rookie year. Hopefully he can turn it around just because, like you said, his physical traits for a tight end are off the charts. It's just not materializing on the field right now. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, He's a guy who is probably going to be a hot name in drafts like forever because he is so physically gifted, like we're saying. But uh, definitely a disappointment for this year. So, like I said, I could go on forever with this, but for the sake of not boring anybody and kind of sticking to the big big names that I think really stuck out uh, as surprises and disappointments, um, I think I'm done. Uh, I will do honorable mentions if if uh, if we so choose, if if you would like. But Sharif, do you have any more that you would like to? like talk about maybe that came to your mind or anything like that? So, I I mean, when I think of, you know, disappointments per se, this isn't a huge one, but like someone like Jonu Smith was pretty disappointing from the hype surrounding him. And, you know, sometimes, you know, there's this saying that there's paralysis by analysis and maybe sometimes we just look too much into a guy And we see, you know, Ryan Tannehill is historically efficient at, you know, in real football. And John Smith is one of those guys whose physical profile is off the charts for a tight end. So we can only expect him to be more involved. And outside of a few good games where they were only good because of his touchdowns, you know, he was pretty much where he's always been, which was like low end tight end one, high end tight end two. And it's just, you know, he was another guy who was a disappointment. Um, obviously Carson Wentz was a disappointment for just, you know, real football and 
fantasy football. And obviously him getting benched obviously helps no one. Um, trying to think if I can get someone else off the top of my head. Uh, let's see here. Hmm. That might be it for me because I'm looking at these running backs. I didn't really see anyone. Um, and I mean, like, it's like you said, it's hard to say guys like Christian McCaffrey are a disappointment just because they're hurt. But at the end of the day, you know, you drafted him. So it's kind of like he's a disappointment in that regard. Saquon Barkley, you know, guys like that. Yeah. All right. So I'll start with my honorable mention for surprises. And that'll be Antonio Gibson and Miles Gaskin. I don't think anybody really expected either of, either of those guys to blow up in the way they did. And Miles Gaskin was, while he was healthy and playing, I mean, even Antonio Gibson, they were running back ones. So I think those guys were nice surprises. Uh, they're going to be probably in the mix for fantasy for the, the foreseeable future. Now, my honorable mentions for disappointment. I, I had a lot of disappointments, but um, understand that these guys are labeled as such for any multitude of reasons. And it could be, like you said, injury, which is a little bit unfair to hold against a guy, but for our purposes, doesn't change the fact that they didn't produce. Um, or some of it might be related to quarterback play, but I'll, I'll just hop into it. So I'll start with Chris Godwin. I thought that when he played, he was mostly pretty good, but he missed games for like three different injuries. Uh, Michael Gallup this season was pretty much hyped up to be on the level of, say, uh, Amari Cooper because he had a comparable season last year. And with all of the weapons that were in Dallas and um, the quarterback issues, just never amounted to being the case. George Kittle was hurt all year, so he didn't really return value. Now, I think this was actually a fairly big one, and that's Mark Ingram. Because Mark Ingram went from, you know, the running back one on a run-heavy team to a healthy scratch. So Mark Ingram down the stretch was not super helpful. And even at, at, at one point, he just was not even effective on the ground. All right, this one's a little bit weird. And maybe I'm a little I'm taking it a little bit too personally. But DJ Moore was like he was a disappointment, but not really. Like he was on pace to have like I believe 1300 yards, but it just never seemed to flow. Like it never seemed like it was coming naturally with Teddy Bridgewater and there were so many opportunities for more. And he could have had a much better fantasy season if that connection was a little bit stronger. Um, and this is my last, uh, I've got two more actually. Joe Mixon was basically hurt after week six and you had kind of had to deal with him on your team because no one knew if he was ever going to come back this season and he ultimately didn't. So you likely not only didn't have Joe Mixon, but if you don't have an IR spot, you were using a roster spot to keep him all year because you had no idea if he was coming back because the Bengals never even put him on IR. So that was a really frustrating disappointment. And then my last one, because there was a lot of hype with him and his weapons coming into the season, would be Drew Locke. 
And I just think that people saw that Drew Locke had Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy and Noah Fan, and they were like, man, Drew Locke is primed for a nice uh, season. And they tried to buy him as kind of a sleeper. And boy, oh boy, did that did, did that not pan out because Drew Locke was pretty pretty abysmal this season. And I'll give him the benefit of the doubt that he didn't have Cortland Sutton. But it didn't mean that you could play Drew Locke in fantasy football this year. Yeah, it it <sighs> Drew Locke and it, granted Drew Locke had a few good games and I you know Obviously, it was against teams he should have had good games against. Um, I remember the one game I think he had against the Raiders, if I'm not mistaken. But let's just say there were games that he had good games. The Falcons comes to mind, the Chargers, um, where he pretty much performed like he should if he was a competent quarterback. Um, But just because of his regression from what we were expecting – he pretty much tanked the value of someone like we mentioned earlier, Jerry Judy. And now Noah Fant remained relevant, which was, you know, which was good to see. Um, but just the guy we pretty much wanted to pan out was Jerry Judy once Corlin Sutton got hurt. And unfortunately, Drew Locke just, you know, he wasn't consistent enough to keep up his value. So. Yeah, that was disappointing. Yeah, definitely. So um, that really covers it for our fantasy surprises and disappointments, um, at least for this week. So, Sharif, do you have any kind of last words for this week? So for this week, obviously, we like Nick uh, was explaining early on, um, we're pretty much going to be start giving advice or not even necessarily advice, but more just opinionated stuff because, you know, most leagues aren't playing right now because the championship was decided probably up until Monday. But we are going to cover certain things that we necessarily couldn't cover because we started this podcast pretty much when the season started. But, you know, if you have any questions for us, like, you know, is it better to have a one QB league? Is it better to have a super flex league? Or what type of scoring is more indicative of what's happening on the field? You know, what kind of ways can you keep people involved? You know, we'll start covering stuff like that. And obviously we'll have more time for dynasty related stuff because this is pretty much like Nick said, nobody's really worried about, you know, redraft leagues at this moment, but it's pretty much dynasty league because we'll start looking towards the draft and things like that. So just stay tuned for advice related to more of the longer plays like dynasty and, you know, draft related tidbits. Yeah, very well put. And if if anybody's listening right now and happens to have listened, uh, listened, wow, happens to be someone who listened to this podcast closer to when we started, uh, one of the things that we did were we gave our predictions for uh, players that we expected to have the potential to break out or bust or really anything of the like. We did that, I don't know, probably prior week one. Um, so that's going to be something else that we are going to kind of try to circle back to and just see how we did because it's always fun to kind of check your process and to see how, uh, how accurate your predictions were. So I am really excited, Sharif. I think that we've got a lot of exciting things to cover in the coming weeks. 
And then, of course, at some point, we'll probably get a little bit of a chance to take a little bit of a rest. But fantasy doesn't really sleep. So uh, for the time being, hang with us because we're going to be tackling things from all these different perspectives, like Sharif was saying. So without any further ado, that really caps it off for today's episode. So we thank you all for listening. Uh, Feel free to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at FullContactPod. Send us your question questions, throw them our way. We'd be glad to evaluate and try to get you the answers that you need. Uh, you know, even if it's a debate topic, uh, we'd love to we'd love to tackle it. So thank you for listening. It has been uh, Nick Zapina with Sharif Phillips Keaton on the Full Contact Podcast, and we will see you next time.